I am proof that God is real or I never, ever could have done this because I'm not one of these strong people. I'm timid. I'm whatever, weak. Caregiving. When love means taking care of someone in a way that you probably never anticipated. People all over the world take care of their loved ones in heroic ways that we usually don't hear anything about. I'm Sarah Perla, and today we're going to share just one of these stories and how God revealed himself in difficult circumstances. Today's Made for Love episode, When Love Meets Silence. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. For this episode, I drove out to meet Terry Corcoran at her home. Terry and her husband Vince were married for 17 years. Sweet pictures. Terry met Vince at work. They slowly got to know each other and eventually, in a natural way, fell in love and got married. Then things changed quickly. Uh, a month after we were married, he fell down when he was playing golf with friends, so I wasn't there and they couldn't tell what was wrong with him. I mean, nothing, you know, he didn't pass out or anything like that. He would be doing this more and more often as time went on, and he never knew why he did. But it wasn't only Vince's balance that was off. So that was the first physical symptom after we were married, and I was only focused on the physical symptoms. Meanwhile, years later, I realized that his mind had been having cognitive decline even a few years before we were married, because he was losing interest with his work, but I thought he was just getting tired of it. It was more even than that, but Terry had no way of knowing what it was. And his personality right after we got married would be, it wasn't always him, and that I just didn't understand what was happening. He would be, he would all of a sudden get withdrawn, or he would act like he was angry at me, but nothing happened or he would lose his temper over something really stupid. Not often, but tried to throw away an old plastic bowl once and he screamed at me, you know, and I cried. And it's like, I didn't know what I had gotten myself into. Nothing was clear and it took years before Terry and Vince would know what was wrong with him. And it would take five years to get the diagnosis and then to realize that he did have cognitive problems. I'd, I'd never met anyone with cognitive problems, so that wasn't even crossing my mind. I was focused on that he was falling, and then he would have trouble walking and problems like that, incontinence, but I didn't, the mental, I just thought I would talk to him, and I would just try to say, where are you? I know you're in there somewhere, and he would just stare at the TV because he couldn't, his mind just couldn't compute all this, and so he couldn't answer me, and he was upset because I was unhappy. Neither of us knew that this monster was coming between us. We just didn't get it. The monster has a name, Fragile X Tremor Ataxia. It's a rare genetic disorder that was not identified until 2001. We got married in 1999, which is when stuff started happening to him. The syndrome that he had, Fragile X Tremor Ataxia Syndrome, was not even identified until 2001. So no one could have diagnosed it. And then by the time we found a doctor who read the first paper that was published out in California, that was 2004. So that's when he got diagnosed, finally. 
so I got acquainted with the doctors who discovered it and learned as much as I could. And they made suggestions over the years of different medications for different symptoms, but they were just learning about it. So they, we were like the pioneers and, you know, obviously there's no cure. The cognitive decline was notable right away. I realized he forgot my name. This is only like five years into the marriage. There was a woman in California connected with a researcher. She was like a geneticist, and she was like a family counselor. And these people were wonderful. They, I could call them anytime. So I called her, and I said, he forgot my name. Is there something wrong with his mind? And she goes, yeah, we are finding that dementia is part of this, you know. And she said, he'll probably need a nursing home in about three years. And I'm like, no way, (laughs) you know, that just really upset me. And I'm like, no, this is our marriage. This is it. We are not being separated. And I spent the rest of the time making sure that that wouldn't happen, hiring help, changing the house, just full time, taking care of him with, with the AIDS. What was the hardest part of the illness for you to watch or to deal with? That is that he couldn't talk to me, the communication, all the physical stuff would have been a lot easier to deal with if he could just talk to me. I mean, I would just desperately want his attention. I mean, there was, and I would just go, do you love me? Did you care about me? Just hit my hand if you care about me. And then he would. He was happy. I would like to just pull. I was just like, because he wasn't saying thank you, of course, or anything. I just, I just need to know that you love me. I need to know that you love me. And that was just, yeah. I didn't have him, his personality. That's who I loved. That's why I called this episode When Love Meets Silence. What is it like when the person you love most in the world, the person who promised to love you until death, can no longer speak to you, can no longer give you any sign of their love? How do you keep giving? He barely spoke at all for the last I don't know, several years, but he would say he loved me every once in a while. I'm sure he didn't know my name, but he knew he knew who I was. He trusted me. How did yeah. you find ways to keep up your spirits on days that were just really hard? I liked humor a lot, which was good. Even from the beginning when, before we had help and we'd be eating dinner together and he wasn't talking and he would be eating really slowly, you know, and I would read these humor books aloud after I finished eating and I did that over the years. I read to him at night. I think the night before he died, I think I read a Woody Allen story to him. I don't know. I liked funny things on TV and keeping up my prayer life and my piano. I love singing show tunes, and so I would sing show tunes. And and I would do my workouts every day when the the aide went home in the middle of the afternoon. I had all my video workouts, so i do that in there with him. Of course, that doesn't mean that Terry was having fun. A lot of times, my spirits were not up. I did a lot of crying and a lot of melting down. And I mean, God always lifted me back up, you know, in my most desperate moments because I obviously got through. (laughs) There were days where I thought I was just not going to move ever again. I'd be so tired by the end of the day after getting him all in bed. And because even after the aid left, I did a lot of, I did the small motor work, like washing his face and cleaning the ears. Meanwhile, Terry was on a journey of faith. She grew up Jewish, but felt that she never really encountered God until her marriage to Vince turned out the way it did. Vince was Catholic and priests from the nearby parish would come to visit. This is Father Scott Cena from St. John the Beloved Parish in Lane, Virginia. When he met Terry and Vince, Father Scott was only Scott. He was a seminarian at St. John's for a pastoral year. I was in seminary. I was in my third theology year. 
and I was assigned on various Sundays to go and visit the homebound, bring them the Eucharist, and one of those visits that I regularly made was to Vince. Terry was there taking care of him. Terry was drawn to the faith through her experiences and through Scott's visits. So I became a Catholic and learned about suffering, and, and, and I just prayed to God all these years that I'd be able to keep him at home. I would bargain with God. I would say, it's till death do us part, not till nursing home do us part. And I said that so many times when I thought maybe it was becoming out of my control. And, and I knew that I could take better care of him and that if he was in a nursing home, I'd be screaming and yelling at them all the time, and that would just upset me more. A quick note here, that while we're highlighting Terry's story today, we are not at all saying that it's wrong to place your loved one in a nursing home to be cared for there. Terry really felt called to keep Vince at home, and she had the means to do so. She talked about how her faith supported her. My relationship with God was my great support, and the priests were wonderful to me over the years. You know, I had some spiritual direction in the beginning. The priests gave me books to read about saints and different things to read, and I, over the years, was just reading and reading. Father Scott emphasizes a prayer life and spiritual reading for anyone who is in Terry's position. I would encourage somebody in that situation to have a strong commitment to prayer, take inspiration from the scripture, read something that perhaps gives you some other resources like the Magnificat or some other good spiritual reading. He introduced me to the Magnificat prayer book, which I subscribe to religiously, and I read it twice a day, the morning prayers, the evening prayers. I did it with Vince in the morning when we woke up. I would read that to him, and then I'd read it to him before bed, and I still do that, and that is like, I'm so dependent on that. I don't know if y'all get the Magnificat or pay attention to it, but it really is uncanny how often something in it relates directly to your life. I would be just really upset about like a certain thing. I'd be whatever it was, then I'd pick up the Magnificat and it would parrot back the words I'd been saying, or it would have a psalm that was saying, oh, my bones are aching and, you know, whatever, my eyes are crying, and just so many times. Then I'd go to confession and confess that I was jealous of normal couples and all of that, and the priests were wonderful to me. They were just so understanding and they were just so supportive. Father Scott says that confession, or just talking to a priest in the context of confession, can be really helpful. A lot of times I think people who are caretaking, although they're actually giving of themselves very sacrificially, they can sometimes have feelings of guilt, feelings that maybe they're not doing enough, whether those feelings are fully justified or not, but they sometimes have them. And so I think confession can be a very good thing to, to seek that spiritual reassurance if you feel that maybe you've done something whether it's in the context of the caretaking or in some other context, to receive our Lord's absolution, or if you just want to talk to the priest about it in the context of confession, just talk about some of the struggles you're having and the way it's affecting, even if you're not sure it's necessarily resulted in any sinful dispositions or thoughts or anything like that. And the people at church, the people who brought us communion, that was the first people I met from the church. These people were, were just so wonderful. And None of them suggested I put Vince in a nursing home. The people from church supported me, and they said, oh, what you're doing is wonderful, and they supported that. We're very blessed to have a great number of very faithful lay people who are attentive to, to their neighbors and to their fellow parishioners, always bringing things to the priest that they feel that we should know about, different turns in people's health and things like that. And that's great for a priest because we can't see everything with our own eyes. We don't hear everything Firsthand. So it's really good to have parishioners who will bring us information and bring us updates on people, 
but also just to recognize that they themselves, it's not just a question of feeding information to the priests, that they themselves can minister to, you know, to their fellow Christians, especially people who are homebound through visits, through prayer, through helping out, because that's really what builds up, you know, the life of a parish when people are embracing their brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and being Christ for them by trying to lift them up. Terry also found support from the Well Spouse Association, and I spoke to the current president, Bob Mastro Giovanni. My name's Robert Mastro Giovanni. Everyone calls me Bob Mastro. And uh, I've been a member of the Welsh Spouse Association for over 25 years. The Welsh Spouse Association is a small nonprofit that provides support for husbands and wives who care for their ill or disabled spouses. We are the only nonprofit in the nation that is dedicated to the support, education, and advocacy for the spouse. Not for the ill patient, but for the spouse who supports the chronically ill or disabled. For those of us who take marriage vows seriously, and for those of us who are dedicated to our spouses, it is definitely a life-changing event because you are all consumed by the support for your spouse. Quick digression into the history of the Well Spouse Association because I think it's really cool. Well, we started in 1988 when a group of 10 Well Spouses got together. One of them, a woman named Maggie Strong, wrote a book called Mainstay. Her husband had MS, and in this book she chronicled her experiences going from two professionals who lived and worked in New York to a totally disabled spouse that she had, and she provided the support. Bob explains that many well spouses have to leave work, or at least reduce their hours, downsize their homes, completely redo their budgets to decrease spending. There's the loss of intimacy in a marriage. There's the loss of support from family and friends sometimes. Molly described all of that in her book, Mainstay. And at the back of the book, she wrote a, a paragraph or two about the fact that there should be a support group for people like her. And if you want to get involved in one, write to my editor. We'll see what we can do, that type of thing. People wrote to Maggie Strong's editor and said, yes, I am a well spouse and I need some help. So the editor got all these letters from people around the country who had read the book, and they assigned a staffer at the editors to try to organize them geographically to start a support group in their area. It started in the cities on the East Coast, and they soon developed a website that has a forum component where spouses can post questions or comments and receive replies. The friendships, the camaraderie, the bond that occurs at a face-to-face support group is invaluable. I have friends that I made 25 years ago that I'm still friends with today because we laughed, we cried, we shared, we were together in support group. That kind of bond you don't get anywhere else, and you certainly can't get it from Facebook. Terry got involved in the group going to conferences and support groups. 
they were my best friends all these years. So after Vince died, of course, I stayed in the organization because you just make such close friendships. Terry also started something for people whose spouses had exactly the same thing that Vince did. And at the same time, we were able to develop, you know, over the years, I found more people with his syndrome. So we have a Facebook page now so that we can all share about that. Because in the beginning, I just wanted to find other people that had that, and I, and I just couldn't. So now I'm always, I always say, if anybody is in the beginning of this and you want to talk to me, and I've talked to some people because they'll say, well, my husband's doing this and this and this. Is that part of the illness? And I can say yes. And no one could tell me that. Caregivers often find that their family and friends have a limit to how much they want to hear about the daily ins and outs of the caregiver's experience. Well, people just flat out don't understand what you're going through. Even family members will say stupid things. One of the legislatures said to a friend of mine, well, just divorce her, you know, and leave her. That's pretty much the worst thing you could say to someone who's trying to take care of their spouse at home. But there are plenty of others, too. People who come in and say, God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Well, that's bullshit. Whoops. Sorry, don't know what happened there. (laughs) I think we all know what Bob is saying, though. Those platitudes do not work. They're not helpful. God gave me more than I can handle on many, many occasions. And the support of my friends and some family, some families stick with you the support of the doctors and hospitals and the nurses, the home health aides that I pay that come in here that provide loving care for my wife are just tremendous and a a tremendous support for me. Now we'll go back to Terry's house and hear about Vince's last days. He died on on a Sunday. Terry didn't have an aide the day before, so Vince stayed in bed and she took care of him she noticed that his breathing was changing. And, and so I was just praying to God, please, just no drama. Show me what to do. Show me what to do. Show me what to do. So I just got back in bed with him, and I have this little wooden cross that somebody gave me. I just lie down next to him. I put the cross in both our hands, and that calmed me down. And I put music on the TV, just kind of easy listening <laughs> music. I just gave it to God and I was calm I was okay you know because I really didn't know I never saw anyone die I didn't know the next morning when Terry opened her Bible she felt that God was preparing her to become a widow she called Vince's daughter so that she could come say goodbye and called Father Sinna to come as well he came over and he did the gospel reading for the day and that was amazing too what the gospel reading was because it was the wedding at Cana and that was very special to me because I would do the rosary all the time I learned how to do the rosary and even how I learned that was amazing that was another story but I would do the rosary every day every time I did the luminous mysteries and we'd get to the wedding at Cana I would stop I'd ask Mary and I say I just said please Pray that the Lord will fill our marriage like he filled the empty jars at Cana. Just like fill it, give it meaning. I just wanted to have meaning. And then that was the reading. The priest read that and it's like, you know, this is our special thing. And and so I thought, well, maybe he was supposed to die today. I was called to the house. Terry was very calm. I mean, obviously this is something that she saw coming. And so I was able to give him the sacraments to know that he was going to meet his Lord with all of the the grace that the, the church could provide. Vince passed away peacefully. 
It just looked like he was asleep. And then really just talked to Terry for a while and tried to help her process something that was going to mark a new big change in her life because she had spent so much of her time over those many years caring for Vince and that being the absolute focus of her life on a day-to-day level aside from our Lord himself that talking about how this was going to affect her now that this was saying goodbye to Vince in this life what that would mean for her. I think my purpose in marrying Vince was I call it my encounter with God because that's what it was (laughs) and that's what I got out of it. I don't know why God chose me to really want me to learn about him (laughs) but I had a grandfather who was very observant too he used to take me to the synagogue all the time and of course my parents made me go to Hebrews but my grandfather was especially observant and I just think of him all the time now because I've got his same amount of observance but I'm doing it in the church where he did it and he'd go to the synagogue every day and I go to church every day and I really think about him a lot a person who is going through a long period of decline, I think it awakens in the people that are around them a very strong sense of our own mortality and a strong sense of our own fragileness, because we see how dependent and helpless a person in in those situations can be. And I think it can be, if we allow it to affect us the right way and if if we take it to prayer and if we reflect upon it in the right way, I think it can be a great spur to our faith and a great spur to our our use of the sacraments because it shows us in a kind of a microcosm our dependence upon God, that God's grace is what sustains us in this life. And if we don't learn to trust in that, ultimately everything is for naught. Terry shared a little more about her spiritual journey. God just is just everything. And I will continue being Vince's legacy. The church, since he's died, has asked me to do so many things. They've really gotten me involved. And the best thing is I'm a Eucharistic minister now. So I just love serving communion and going to people's houses. And I go to the nursing home once a week, the nursing home that I avoided, didn't want him in. And and I I just love it. And they're so grateful that I go because not many people really can deal with that you know or or want to do it and I mean I kind of understand these people or I'm not afraid of it or I mean I've seen everything so it doesn't bother me and and I just I just love doing it. Terry turned her experience of the cross and suffering into a ministry for other people. Love is one of the most badly misunderstood words in the English language because we have romanticized it in the worst sense, that we have made love into simply an emotion or an emotional response. That's Bishop Frank Caggiano. My name is Bishop Frank Caggiano, and I'm the Bishop of Bridgeport in Connecticut. Bishop Caggiano has a lot to say about what love really means. I was celebrating Mass at St. Gregory the Great School, and I took the homily as the occasion to talk about love and what that meant. And I said to the students, I said, no, no, we talked about love a bit. I said, so now, what would you think it is? Affirming and, you know, someone that I'm attracted to? Great. It's all great. I said, now explain to me, as I walked into the sanctuary, I pointed to the crucifix and said, this is the greatest act of love creation will ever see. I said, how does that fit what you just described? And it took about 
10 or 15 seconds for the floodgate to open again. Well, that's about sacrifice. That's about offering something for someone else's good. Exactly. I said, that is what love is. And that's what this episode is all about. Terry really loved Vince. I mean, this whole thing was about God and it, and it hurts and it's suffering and I miss him and I'm angry that we didn't have a life together. And, but then there's the other side of it, the better side. <laughs> and and um, I know that I can get through anything with God if I'm ever an- anxious about things, and, and I am, and I, I've learned that I can depend on God. I am not personally afraid of dying anymore because I think it's probably a better place to be. <laughs> and I've learned that I, th- I think that there is life after death. I feel like I can communicate with Vince. I talk to him all the time. And, and there are times I ask him to pray for me if, if I'm hurting or something. And, you know, sometimes if something really neat happens in my life, some special surprise, I feel like, you planned that, didn't you? <laughs> I feel like he did. I hope Terry's story helps anyone out there who is taking care of a spouse or a parent or any loved one. God is ready to help. There will be a link for the Well Spouse Association on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. I always said I saved his life. I mean, as much as I could. I saved his life and he saved my soul. Terry is a beautiful example of fidelity. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. That's what she said to Vince, and she meant it. Thank you to Terry Corcoran, Bob Mastro Giovanni, Bishop Caggiano, and Father Scott Cena. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.